0: Welcome to the University of Minnesota's IPM podcast for field crops. I'm your host, Anthony Hansen. So we've been on break for a little while now this past year, and we've been working more on programs like our strategic farming field notes program, kind of like another podcast that we have here. In the meantime, we did have a special set of episodes we recorded this year. It was actually the 50th anniversary of Integrated Pest Management that we're celebrating. So this was a collaboration between multiple universities that we got together and did some special segments on kind of the history of IPM and also some of the things we've done, especially here in the state of Minnesota. We have two special episodes to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of IPM. One is with Dr. Bob Wright with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I was interviewing him, talking about the history of IPM, kind of how it got its start. And then we switched roles a little bit. And in that case, Dr. Wright was interviewing me about kind of the history of soybean aphid a little bit. What do we do when a new invasive pest comes in? And how do we tailor our IPM plans to dealing with a brand new pest in the system? How do we start from scratch, pretty much? So let's lead off with Dr. Bob Wright.
1: Happy 50th anniversary of IPM from the University of Nebraska.
0: Happy 50th anniversary IPM from the University of Minnesota. Well, welcome everyone. I'm Anthony Hansen, an Extension Educator in Integrated Pest Management from the University of Minnesota. And today we'll be talking with Dr. Bob Wright from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Now today we're going to talk a little bit more about a little bit of the history side of Integrated Pest Management. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for Bob, to uh, talk about kind of one of the seminal papers that came out about 1959. So welcome here, Bob, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit more.
1: Yes, I'm Bob Wright, an entomologist and extension IPM coordinator at the University of Nebraska. Worked primarily on field crop insect pest management. All
0: right, thanks, Bob. So the paper that we're talking about is kind of getting this idea of, we talk about IPM or integrated pest management. A lot of questions come up, where does this term integrated come from, or what does it mean? And in this case, there's one paper that kind of got the term started a little bit. It's the integration of chemical and biological control of the spotted alfalfa avid, the integrated control concept. So this is one that I know you were excited about talking about just in terms of kind of what this meant for the field of IPM, both just for the history, but then also spotted alfalfa avid too. So you want to talk a little bit about why this is important to the IPM concept.
1: Well, if you've taken a course in IPM, you've probably either uh, heard this paper referred to or the concepts. And a couple of important ideas came out in this paper. The most important was they introduced the concept of the economic injury level and economic threshold, which we still talk about in IPM. And the economic injury level is a a simple way to talk about it is if you have an insect damaging a crop and if you treat it with an insecticide to prevent damage and you could save $10 an acre, but the treatment costs were $20 an acre, you would lose money. So the idea is that we need to scout and uh, document the level of insects and injury and have information about whether it would pay to treat basically. And so the first concept is the economic injury level is the break even point. And then also the economic threshold, we need to back, back away a little bit and have a lower level for the economic threshold so that you have time to implement an action and control the insect before it exceeds the economic injury level. And that, those ideas were first introduced in this paper. Interestingly, Stern et al. paper never described how to calculate an economic entry level or economic threshold. It was almost 10 years later before that was actually done. And then, as you mentioned, they promoted the concept of integrated control, which later got changed into integrated pest management. And they were looking to integrate biological and chemical control uh, in response to the the introduction of the spotted alfalfa aphid in California.
0: So Bob, one thing that was happening, I remember reading about this too, is with spotted alfalfa aphid, they were relying primarily on their insecticides. And what was happening with the biological control in that case?
1: Well, they were using broad spectrum insecticides in those days, such as organophosphate and organochlorine insecticides, which kill off a lot of natural enemies. And prior to the introduction of the spotted alfalfa aphid, a lot of the work in California was trying to develop biological controls for the the existing alfalfa insects, which were primarily caterpillars and other aphids. And they were using uh, conservation of of biological control agents, uh, strip harvest to, to conserve the natural enemies, even using early early products of Bacillus thuringiensis were commercialized at that time. Typically when we have an invasive insect, uh, until we do the, the basic biological research to develop an IPM program, the only option for an emergency control is an insecticide. And unfortunately the insecticides they were using at that time, the organophosphates and organochlorines, ended up having residues in alfalfa which was used in dairy production then we had high levels of insecticide residues in milk as well as uh, worker safety issues using these highly uh, toxic insecticides so there was a lot of uh, need to develop a, a way to reduce insecticide use and still provide for economical production of alfalfa
0: and i feel like on the insecticide front this is one of the topics that we talk about a lot even in the current day where if we over rely on our insecticides if we lose our biological control that's often an added cost that sometimes causes more issues for us down the line when it comes to farming and that's something that you know we see with you know alfalfa today whether it's alfalfa weevil potato leafhopper this concept kind of comes into play pretty often where those two are very intertwined it seems like
1: and the other issue that they didn't run into in California, but we run into nowadays is when we rely primarily on insecticides, we we may come up with insecticide resistance issues as well.
0: So Bob, how about the current day for IPM? We talk about this integrated control concept morphed into integrated pest management. How is this interaction working in our current IPM systems for a variety of crops?
1: Well, we continue to have new insects that get imported to the US. And when they first are introduced to an area, uh, oftentimes they're introduced without their naturally occurring biological controls and do very well. And until we have time to do the research to develop biological controls and other integrated pest management uh, practices, Oftentimes the first thing growers respond to or the only choice they have is to use insecticides. In some cases we have more uh, selective insecticides than we did in the 1950s, but still a lot, a lot of times we're using insecticides that suppress biological control and uh, are not a sustainable way to control insects.
0: And Bob, I think that's a good segue into a future episode we'll be having here looking at soybean aphid is a good example of a invasive species where we had to develop an IPM program for, but in the meantime, are there any other resources you would want people listening to know about for specifically IPM resources from Nebraska?
1: Well, probably the best site is our, uh, cropwatch.unl.edu, uh, website, uh, that has information on entomology, weed science, and plant pathology issues for crops in Nebraska. All
0: right, thanks, Bob. And this was an interview with Dr. Bob Wright from the University of Nebraska. So like Dr. Wright mentioned, IPM really was based in a lot of the economic entomology of the time that uh, we use as a basis for our IPM today. It's not all based on economics, but really that is the center of things a lot. And that's really what feeds into a lot of things like our next topic with soybean aphid. I know a lot of folks are familiar usually with the soybean aphid economic thresholds. And that's kind of a bit of a poster child for what we'll talk about next.
1: Uh, Hello, this is Bob Wright. I'm an entomologist with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Extension IPM coordinator at UNL. I work in field crop entomology and this series of podcasts is to commemorate the 50th anniversary of IPM being announced as a, a federal policy and we've been talking the last this this podcast and the last one about the role that invasive insects have played in the development of IPM and we're going to focus on the soybean aphid in this podcast and joining me is Anthony Hansen from the University of Minnesota and he's going to be talking about uh, some of the activities that led into the development of IPM programs for soybean aphid. So, Anthony, you want to introduce yourself?
0: Thanks, Bob. Yep, I, like you said, I'm uh, based out of the University of Minnesota. I am the IPM Extension uh, co coordinator there and the field crop side of things. We also have Marissa Hsu over on our horticulture side of things, too. And primarily my training, I'm an entomologist. I cover all things IPM now in my extension role as a IPM educator, but I especially focus on the insects. And I spent a lot of my time working on soybean aphid and seeing that basically start up in about, oh, about 2000 is when it showed up in Minnesota. And I was you know, back in high school then, but I still remember actually seeing at least either entomologists or some scouts coming out into fields randomly looking for soybean aphid. So that's kind of where I got my start a little bit on that one there.
1: Okay. After the soybean aphid was first detected, uh, how did growers respond when it started showing up in higher numbers in Minnesota?
0: Yeah. And that was a challenge and is a challenge for invasive species as a whole. That first year or two, especially when you start to notice you have a new problem insect or any invasive species, you have pretty limited options. Your toolbox is not really established yet. So for insects, a lot of times, we're going to go to our broad-spectrum insecticides. So in that case, for soybean aphid, we'd be looking at organophosphates, pyrethroids, and so on. And early on, that's the challenge deciding, okay, when do you spray? Is it worthwhile? Are you actually getting a return on investment? And then that's that whole question of the economic threshold or economic injury level where that's going to establish. So early on and about the early 2000s, it was about 2003, 2004, and five, and so on, there were multi-state experiments going on in these fields where uh, University of Minnesota helped lead part of this, but it was about six states in total across north-central U.S. looking to see what amount of damage is correlating to the amount of yield just based on soybean aphid counts or cumulative aphid days. So this was you know, quite an undertaking a little bit here to look at that, but it was about 19 location years or field years, we call them. And so this paper was published at Ragsdale et al. 2007. So about seven years for that to officially be published at least. But that information was generated within roughly a few years at least. So it was a pretty quick response. But before then, it definitely was a question of um, farmers growing up and spraying possibly on a schedule and not much rhyme or reason or connection to how much return on investment there was there. So that definitely helped on the insecticide side of things. But because we're talking about this through the IPM podcast, when we talk about economic thresholds, insecticides are not the only thing in the toolbox. So, Bob, we do have a few others to talk about here as well, once we get past the insecticides that do wrap into this network of IPM for soybean aphid.
1: And I just mentioned, uh, before we move on from insecticides, historically, we haven't had a lot of insects that needed regular insecticide use in soybeans and so growers were not used to spraying insecticides and we didn't have a lot of tools for uh, economic thresholds so this was a first from that guide point but one of the problems when we use broad spectrum insecticides is that it suppresses biological controls and that can that's an important uh, leg of ipm so what was done to try to encourage and understand what's going on with biological control of the soybean aphid
0: yeah bob and that's another prong of our ipm program we have for soybean aphid currently so while the research was going on looking at insecticides and economic thresholds there was also work being done to see what were the natural enemies up to were they starting to at least attempt to control soybean aphid to some degree or could we import natural enemies from its native range especially over in china now, I remember working with uh, Dr. George Heimpel, who's at the University of Minnesota, and uh, some projects way back in the late 2000s. And Binodoxus communis was one parasitoid wasp that was imported over, uh, basically put into quarantine facilities to see if it was going to affect any other non target insects, and at least at the time was approved. However, that did not manage to control soybean aphid. It seems like it didn't overwinter as well here in Minnesota. But over time, there are other species that were looked at too. And eventually, in recent years, we've seen aphilinus certus populations uh, take off quite a bit. Now, this is actually an accidental introduction. It's not known exactly how it made its way to the U.S., but it seems to be showing up in pretty high numbers for controlling soybean aphid to some degree. And another natural enemy I will mention are lady beetles. They come up a lot in conversation. Uh, The Asian lady beetle especially was not introduced here to control soybean aphid. It was already in the U.S. uh, decades prior but just so happened to actually do pretty well in soybean aphids. So that's why we see pretty high numbers in our soybean plants. But This gets to your question, Bob, of our natural enemies in the soybean fields. They tend to be susceptible to our broad spectrum insecticides. So if we spray too early, we do run the risk of wiping out our natural enemies or significantly reducing the populations. And then we lose that control that holds the populations down to some degree. So it can be a bit of a treadmill if we are overusing our insecticides because we knock out one of our other tools to some degree.
1: I guess we don't know exactly what uh, is causing this, but the last several years we haven't had as widespread uh, soybean aphid populations in the Midwest. Some people speculate it's because native natural enemies as well as introduced natural enemies have have built up and helped suppress uh, soybean aphids. But uh, the other major effort we have relative to IPM is plant resistance. And that's also as a long-term effort to develop plant resistance and get it commercialized. Uh, But can you tell us about uh, what was done with plant resistance research?
0: Yeah, this is actually a subject that's a little more near and dear to my heart because I spent most of my PhD dissertation working on host plant resistance. So if you think about back to 2000, when soybean aphid first showed up in the U.S., the first paper, or one of the main ones that came out was Hill et al. in 2004. So it was really a short turnaround time to find initial uh, plant introductions that had some resistance to soybean aphid. However, like you mentioned, this is a long-term project working with crop reading. So it takes quite a while to take a line that you have resistance in and try to cross it into existing high-yielding varieties. In many of these cases, these are lines that were found again over in the native range in China and other parts of Asia, and some of these may not necessarily have been suited for our agronomic uses in the US. So there's been some slow uptake of these traits, but I do remember in about 2009, 2010, There were a couple traits out there that we could use uh, for our fields. Uh, They're called RAG genes, RAG1 especially. But it's been harder and harder to find those on the market lately. So there is some work going on on the university side of things to get some of these uh, basically pyramided traits in RAG1 plus RAG2 and a few other genes like that, as well as some other traits, say, like for herbicide resistance. So there are public varieties in the pipeline that should be available either to growers as part of their um, university's seed program, or to possibly license those out into industry lines that could eventually work their way in. So we're hoping to see those traits out there later. But the main thing with host plant resistance is that it does reduce the pressure on our insecticide use. So if we can reduce that, not only is it a little friendlier for our natural enemies that tend not to be affected by host plant resistance, but... It also does help with our insecticide resistance issues too, which have popped up for soybean aphid. So you can start to see just how for one you know, fairly recent species here, soybean aphid, uh, even though it's been 20 years now, this is a modern example of how IPM works, where we have this network of multiple control tactics and they do have interactions between each other. So it's uh, definitely something where when we have all these tools working together, we can you know, try to make sure that one of the tools is less likely to fail or have issues in a specific year and that it's also helping out the growers too where it's hopefully a little less worry if we have multiple tactics in play if you only have one then you're having to really watch and make sure that you're getting that one tactic uh, uh used correctly but then there's that high chance of failure too for insecticide resistance we mentioned so it's definitely an interesting case for how ipm works in the modern day
1: I guess it also points out to the need for continued research as we have challenges come up like insecticide resistance or uh, insecticides available on the market change over time as well. I, I, before we end, I wanted to mention one, one issue is that uh, we made relatively rapid progress and had involvement of multiple states in part because we got very good support from the commodity boards. Uh, particularly the North Central Soybean Research Program, as well as the soybean commodity boards in individual states, and then as well as funding from USDA NEFA. Some Some of the competitive grants take longer to get, but oftentimes uh, the commodity boards can respond quickly to a a problem that that shows up.
0: Yeah, for soybean aphid, that continues to be our main pest we still keep an eye out for in Minnesota. But when we talk about new invasive pests coming in. One of the new ones that's in the works right now is soybean gall midge. And how do we deal with that? And that's one that's still very much a work in progress, but a good example of how these IPM teams across states work together when we have issues like this come up. And for Minnesota, where can people find out more information about IPM? In general, ours is split up on the University of Minnesota extension website, generally by crop, but we will have information on diseases, insects, and weed control, basically split up by crop. So if you look up University of Minnesota Extension, you'll be able to find our information throughout the whole website. On that note, Bob, too, I should mention our Minnesota Crop News blog. And this is one where usually individual educators will post their own articles, usually timely things they're seeing out in the field. And in this case, I do tend to have you know, IPM updates on there, whether it's soybean aphid, alfalfa weevil, or other insects of interest, especially. So these Blog setups are a good way for uh, information to get out there to growers in a more timely manner. Okay. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening. So we are going to be putting the IPM podcast on pause for a while, uh, basically because we are working on that strategic farming program and we are doing a lot of our podcasting through their four IPM topics. Uh, whether it's insects, diseases, or weeds topics, and then getting into your agronomy as well too. So in the meantime, I'd like folks to definitely check out those programs. We do have options to uh, listen to some of those as a podcast. You can see those as videos as well for some of these webinars that we do. So be sure to check out the episode description, and we'll have more information for you there about the strategic farming program that you can use as a follow-up for what we've used as our traditional IPM updates through the seasons. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you both with our online resources that we have with podcasts or other webinars, and our in-person sessions that we have for pest updates throughout the season. And feel free to get a hold of me too, Anthony Hansen. I'll have my email in the episode description too if you ever have any pest questions that come up, especially on the insect side of things.